I've been hoping to chat with you. If you haven't connected with Bible Study Evangelista on Instagram, Facebook, or Pinterest, what are you waiting for? And now, it's time to help you love and lift all you've been given. So let's get some Bible study in your pocket. Did you know you can get Bible Study Evangelista radio notes and podcasts delivered to your inbox every Monday morning? Redeem your Mondays. Join thousands of your fellow listeners by subscribing at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. Welcome to the last show in our series on Catholic eschatology or Christian eschatology, but specifically Catholic where we are going to wrap up our series on end times teaching from a Catholic tradition point of view. And I specify that because as I was coming into the church, I was struck by so many differences in interpretations in the scriptures. And prophecy is one of those places. But you can't be any more clear than the Bible itself, when it says there is no scripture or prophecy of scripture that is of private interpretation, St. Peter says. And if that's true, then where is the interpretation? That means it has to be public. And if it's public, where is it? Well, St. Paul says that the church is the pillar and the foundation of truth. So the church has the pro- the proper interpretation of prophecy. And so as, <laughs> I'll be honest, in fact, I just was talking to a friend of mine who I helped lead into the church. She, she w- went through my RCIA class and we were talking last night about a new study that I'm about to um, write. And I'll, I'll share more on that in a few minutes. But we were talking about how sometimes we scare ourselves as converts. And I still do this. Now, look, I've been, I've been a Catholic now for over 11 years. And there are times when I talk to people or when I do a show and I'll, I'll walk away from it and go, well, now, is that really true? Because it's so some of this stuff is so different from what I was taught growing up. And this is one of those areas in which especially this era of peace. Now, most things are pretty similar, but the era of peace specifically is something that is uniquely Catholic. It was never taught to me as a Baptist. I never even heard of it. And it's because I didn't have church history because the church fathers are full of it. But what what's so interesting is there are times when I walk away from a show and I go, is that really true? You know, and I scare myself because I'm like, oh, my gosh, I bought a lie, you know. So then in my head, I do this back and forth. I argue with myself. Okay, well, this is what the Bible says here. And then I go, yeah, but it says this over here. Well, yeah, but it says this here. Well, okay, but what about this? And then I go back and forth in my head. And then I go, I I get to where I breathe this huge sigh of relief. And I'm like, it is true. (laughs) and I know that's kind of funny if you're if you're a lifelong Catholic you have no idea how disorienting it can be to get all of this new information to never have been taught it to never have been exposed to it and even if you're a lifelong Catholic many lifelong Catholics have never been exposed to it that's why I'm doing this this whole series this is why I did it that's why I do everything I do 
because I really want to help get the word out. You know, it's been here all along. I had in the uh, Facebook Live from last week, I had someone ask me, or maybe it wasn't last week, it might have been the week before, but someone asked me, can I do, or is it right to do a Bible study with a group of Seventh-day Adventists? And I have this to share because I ran across it that week, and I just haven't had a chance to uh, actually share it with her formally. But it says, this is from the encyclical Providentissimus Deus. So it's Pope Leo XIII's encyclical about the providence of God in 1893. And he says, I love this, it is unbecoming to pass by the excellent work which Catholics have left in abundance and to have recourse to the works of non-Catholics and to seek in them to the peril of faith the explanation of passages on which Catholics have successfully employed their talent. Although the studies of non-Catholics may be of use, bear in mind that the sense of Holy Scripture can nowhere be found incorrupt outside of the church. Now, I share that with you, dear one, not to marginalize the contributions of non-Catholics. I was a non-Catholic, so I know how much they have contributed. But I will say this, they're missing the most important piece of interpretation of Scripture, and that is the tradition, the history of the church. And that is why I have done this series, specifically as it applies to end times prophecy, because the Bible is so clear that there is no private interpretation of prophecy. And so, and in fact, it also says that every prophecy is about Jesus. So ultimately, it must be a public interpretation. And if it is public, where is it? Well, it's in the church, according to St. Paul. And so we have 2,000 years of church history. We have to know what church history is taught. And so I hope that you have found this information useful. If you didn't know, you might have stumbled on the Bible study evangelista show. And I'm Sonia Corbett, your host here on the show. We're wrapping up today our series on end times prophecy. Eschatology is the big church word for it. And I'd like to spend our last show together talking about one more time. I'm going to lay out the timeline for you. And I, I didn't do a whole lot of reading from the Bible throughout the series. I left the notes for you in the show notes so that you could go back and look at it yourself just because there there's so much there. And if I had done that, it would have extended the series into many, many, many more shows. And I wanted to purposely keep it brief, first of all, out of respect for your time, but also so that we didn't delve into the minutiae of all of these prophecies. There are so many, and it's just, it's, you know, it's all about speculation and mystery. We don't know yet. We know the high spots, the bullet points. And that's what I've been trying to share with you so that as these things continue to unra unravel, and I say unravel specifically because we can see all over the world how things really are unraveling. And it, it engenders fear. And that was really the main reason why I wanted to do this series because I want you to know it has been prophesied. This stuff must happen. It has to happen, dear one. So don't be afraid. All of this must happen first because it is 
It is preparing the world to receive this end times era of peace, first of all, and then to receive the second coming of Christ. That's really what it's all about. So in this show, I want to do a a recap, and then I'm also going to share with you what our next series is going to be. So I'll do that in the last segment. But I want to also thank you, before I jump in, I want to thank, there were several of you who left new reviews on iTunes, and I thank you for that. And I mentioned last week that 80% of you are listening on an an Apple device, either an iPhone or an iPad, 80%. (laughs) That means, dear one, if you're listening to me on iTunes or an iPad, please stop the audio and go write a review for me because it helps push the show up in the rankings and why that's important well I'm going to share with you in a later segment why it's important but it's it's mostly because it helps me get this information out the more access people have to the show the more visible the show is the more people can have access to this kind of information so I want to thank also the newest friends of the show we have several Candace Ann Kristen and Abby welcome to the Bible Study Evangelista Show, friends of the show. I can't tell you, well, I will try to share with you a little bit, in a little bit, how very, very much you are contributing to the evangelization that I do, um, not only as friends of the show, but also as prayer partners. I just, I can't thank you enough. I know I say this all the time, and I, I don't mean to just, you know, harp on this to death, but I can't tell you how thankful I am. I pray for you. I thank God for you, as St. Paul says, I'm humbled by your support. I am, I'm, I just, you know, um, in a week like last week that was so hard and so long, it seemed like I was never going to figure out what was wrong and it was so expensive to fix it and just all this, you know, now I know why that all had to happen, but um, I just can't thank you enough for your support, both in, I'm sorry, both in prayer, but also as my friends of the show, because when times get really hard like that, yeah, I mean, I just want to quit. I want to just say, you know what? Screw this. I just, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> but because of your support, and, and I know you're there. I know you're praying. I know you're contributing. And I can't thank you enough. Um, and I say it a lot. And I'm just so thankful. Thank you. Thank you. All of you for your support. I appreciate it more than you will ever know this side of heaven, but one day I will be able to thank you, especially those of you who I haven't even met. Um, there's a song, I might try to find it and post it, but um, there's a song, an old song back from the 80s, and it was by a guy who actually scandalized himself later, but <laughs> he, he fell, we'll say, fell from grace. But it was called, Thank You for Giving to the Lord. And I guess that is my tribute to you. And I'll, I'll try to post it with the show this week. But thank you again. And we are going to have to take a break. And I guess this is as good a place as any to stop. Um, and when we come back, we're going to talk about this timeline. And I'm going to give you the timeline in bullet points. And then I'm going to clean myself up so that when I come back, I'm not bawling and snotting everywhere. So <laughs> we'll be back in a moment. This is Sonia Corbett, your Bible study evangelista. Thank you. 
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spares That Taste Like Cake. If you like having Bible study in your pocket and you have an iPhone or iPad, why not leave a review? Search Bible Study Evangelista in iTunes and tell everyone how you're loving and lifting all you've been given. Here's Sonia. study evangelista show where we love and lift all we've been given or at least we try right you love and lift me as i was um saying before the break i also want to just let you know of the four of you two of you should have your bracelets already the other two uh believe Kristen and abby i'll get those in the mail shortly okay so a timeline then of just major highlights of the events that will happen in the last days and as I've said in other shows I believe that we are either in or about to be in the minor chastisement or the minor tribulation and we know several things that happen during that time it's the the minor chastisement is characterized by heresy in the western church and we can definitely see how that has happened just in the last hundred years and I read you in that particular show on the minor chastisement I read you a lot of those prophecies specific to that heresy, that uh, falling away from the church. Now, St. Paul actually talks about that in a sweeping way all over, not just the Western church, but the entire world. That's supposed to happen either during or just before the rise of the Antichrist. So there will be a, on a smaller scale, it's really everything that happens during the Antichrist will happen on a smaller scale during this minor chastisement except for the one leader okay so the minor chastisement will be characterized by heresy in the western church there will be civil wars in italy and france that break out almost at exactly the same time and then england and we can see that that is happening already with the the partner of the muslim ascendancy so i believe that those two things are inextricable they are conjoined to the point that they will not be able to be separated i believe that these two things happen together so the muslim ascendancy and the civil wars in europe occur and in the wake of all of that there is famine pestilence and natural disasters all of that is outlined for us in the book of revelation during the the major chastisement or the great tribulation but we know that all of that happens on a smaller scale and we can see that happening too the superbugs the tsunamis all of the the hurricanes and tornadoes and the natural disasters all of that stuff the famines all over the world so we see that already happening there's supposed to be a russian invasion and then because of the civil wars that occur in Italy, specifically, the Pope will flee Rome. And when he does so, he will be murdered. Then a great saint is elected Pope, and he helps bring a great milita- military leader to ascendancy. Now, there is some speculation as to whether this actually happens just before the Antichrist, or if it's supposed to happen during the minor chastisement. Most people agree, 
when I say that, I mean the church fathers. Most of the church fathers agree, and the vast majority of people who talk about interpretations of end times prophecies, they most, most of them all agree that the Pope will flee Rome and is then murdered in the minor chastisement or at the end of it, the tail end of the minor chastisement. When he is murdered, a great saint will be elected Pope, and that happens almost immediately. And when that happens, this Pope will help bring a great military leader to ascendancy. And the reason this is important is because this is characteristic of the Holy Roman Empire, the early one. So the Pope and the ruler, the king, the great monarch, then sort of mimic this Holy Roman Empire of earlier history. And all of the church fathers agree that this will happen again, that there will be the reestablishment of a Holy Roman Empire. So this great saint who is Pope and this great monarch together will defeat all the enemies, including the Russians and the Muslims. And then somewhere in here, there's supposed to be some sort of interior illumination from Jesus. That was at the, the uh, prophecies of Batania. But there's supposed to be an interior illumination that helps convert so many people, the numbers of Gentiles, which will come in and inaugurate really the age of peace. Okay, so the minor chastisement leads directly into the age of peace, the new Pax Romana. Remember that the Roman Empire, the main characteristic of the Roman Empire was that it was an age of peace, the Pax Romana. And so I believe, this is not something I actually read, but I believe that that's probably part of why. Well, first of all, we know that peace helps foster advances in science and, and learning and uh, religious conversion, all of that, because people are safe enough to be able to pursue those kinds of things. Whereas in times of war, all anybody's trying to do is survive. So nobody has time to do any of this interior um retrospection, uh, introspection, sorry, um, or any of that. So advances then, because of peace, are made. And it's it stands to reason then that during this new Pax Romana, this er- age of peace, this is the age of the Holy Spirit and Mary, that great advances will be made in unity for several reasons, but mostly because it will be a time of peace. So this is what we believe is this time of normalcy for repentance that is spoken of in Paul in 2 Thessalonians 2, 7, and then by Jesus in two places, Matthew 24, 37 through 39, and Luke 17, 26 through 30. So it's it's like in these little blurbs, but you can see, once it's pointed out, you see very clearly that Jesus... He outlined it for us. He told us exactly what was going to happen. And he told us that there would be a time of peace in which the gospel would be spread all over the world. Now, we know that, but I just don't think I ever considered it in the context of this age of peace. But it makes perfect sense. So in this era of peace, there will be the establishment of a new Roman Empire, a new Pax Romana. Now, I said that all, almost every single, well, it is. It's just a foregone conclusion, really in the fathers and the doctors of the church that there is, that this is a literal Roman Empire or a kingdom and it has to be in place shortly prior to the coming of the Antichrist because this is what he will break up into these ten kingdoms. So the fathers and the doctors tell us that just prior to the coming of the Antichrist and, and the Bible literally says it that an existing empire will be divided up into ten kingdoms and St. Jerome told us that it's some kind of Roman kingdom 
And he says that all the ecclesiastical writers have passed down this teaching. So he takes it as a foregone conclusion that it is a literal Roman Empire in the last days. It's not the early one. It's a latter one. So, and we know, and I read so many of those uh, readings and, and writings, we know that this is supposed to happen in the latter days and that it is a real literal kingdom of some sort. Thomas Aquinas said that it could be interpreted in a mystical, non-literal sense, but he's really one of the only ones. The majority of the latter doctors all agree with the early fathers that this is a real literal event. So that has to happen before Antichrist. So we know then that there's, there's some time in between. Well, there's lots of things that actually have to happen according to the scriptures, but there will be this time of normalcy for repentance in which this new Roman Empire will be established and a sort of new Roman peace. The restoration of Catholic faith and practice all over the earth will occur and and there will be this sweeping unity in which a reunion of Christians will occur. And then, of course, the fullness of the Gentiles. This is what our last several popes have called the new evangelization or the springtime of faith, the new Pentecost that will occur through the Holy Spirit during this age of the Holy Spirit and Mary. So she will be integral in all that happens in bringing this peace. And I will read to you out of Romans 12 how, in fact, I'm going to do that right now, how I believe that's going to happen. We know that St. Michael, remember that uh, the very first show we talked about prophecy and the characteristics of prophecy and how we should read it and the fact that, that it was written to a specific group of people at the time at, of the original writing, but then also prophecies have several fulfillments. So St. John was writing the book of Revelation to seven churches in his time, according to chapters one and two of the book of Revelation. But then also he was predicting future events that will occur later and, and some actually even past events. So, you know, it's kind of confusion, confusing. Prophecies always are. And so that's why they're so open to uh, misinterpretation. But one of the things that's fascinating is in chapter 12 of the book of Romans, he says, a great sign appeared in heaven. Remember that this is the heavenly liturgy that we're seeing. But then it says, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and on her head, a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. And then it, it talks about the dragon who stood before the woman and was ready, who was ready to give birth to devour the child, meaning Christ, obviously. And the child was caught up to God in his throne, the ascension. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. And then it says, war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, Satan. And the dragon and his angels fought, but they did not prevail, nor was there a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Now that whole, wow, I have to take a break, but that whole chapter is about the church, but it's first and foremost about Mary. Mary is the woman who gives birth to the child. I have to take a break. Oh my gosh. So we'll be back in a few minutes and finish this thought on Revelation 12 when we get back. This is Sonia Corbett, your Bible study evangelist.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spares That Taste Like Cake. Sonia created the Love the Word Bible Study Method just for you, based on Mary's personal practice and formulated for your personality and temperament. Get your Love the Word meditations every Monday morning by signing up at BibleStudyEvangelista.com. Now, here's Sonia. So we left off talking about Revelation chapter 12 and the woman and the child and the dragon. And we see specifically that St. Michael, the archangel, is the one who throws Satan out of heaven. So he fights, and, and I believe that this is actually the end of the end times. This is the final battle. And we see that Mary is an integral part of all that happens. So Mary, then, is the one who is giving birth to the male child and... Satan comes after her. Now, I learned that this chapter is speaking of Jerusalem or the church, Israel, okay, because Israel gave birth to the Messiah. But you have to see and you have to know that there was a literal woman. (laughs) And the literal woman gave birth to a literal child. So it's more than one. It's more than one thing. It's not either or. It's both and. So it's, it is Jerusalem as the woman it is mary as the woman it is the the church then as the woman who give birth to the male child and so we see at the end of time that that the woman and the holy spirit will be the conquering factor that's the reason i read that she will be she will be along with the angels the conquering factor with the male child of all that occurs to defeat the antichrist now I had a question from Corey this week, and I'm glad she asked it because I always worry that I don't make sense when I'm <laughs> when I'm sharing this stuff. And she had a question. She said, well, if there is supposed to be this sweeping evangelization during this era of peace, then how do the Jews get converted during the Great Tribulation or the major chastisement? And that's an excellent question. So in case I did not make sense before... I want to just do so now. I'm going to make it, try to make it very clear. So the minor chastisement leads into the age of peace because there's so much turmoil. And then a pope is murdered. A pope and a great monarch ascend to, we'll say power, but authority. And they establish a Christian peace all over the earth. During that Christian peace, there will be a great evangelization of the Gentiles. But as always happens throughout the Bible... In times of peace, the people's faith grows lax. They prosper, the church prospers, the faith prospers, but then the people get lazy. And when they get lazy, they fall back into idolatry. That always happens throughout the scriptures. And when that happens, that will set up the rise of the Antichrist. He will defeat these, he will break up this kingdom into ten. And remember that he will defeat seven of them right off three will resist but he will conquer them completely utterly and at that time there will be a universal apostasy saint paul talked about it in second thessalonians 2 2 and 3 and that facilitates the rise of the final antichrist and when that happens he will set himself up 
as the Messiah of the Jewish people. The Jewish people will accept him as their earthly Messiah because they're looking for a secular sort of government social justice Messiah. And he will offer himself as that person. And when that happens, then the Jews will be sucked into this false Messiah and he will have complete power and reign over the earth for three and a half years. That's outlined for us in Daniel chapter 7 verse 25 and Revelation 13 5. So he will dismantle this Holy Roman Empire that's in Daniel 7 and 8 and three of them who resist will will be crushed. Then the false prophet comes to power who prepares the way for this supreme and final Antichrist which we see in Revelation chapter 13. And He reigns for three and a half years in which he will severely persecute Christians. And that's part of what I believe helps draw the Jews into accepting him as a false messiah. First of all, that's what they're looking for. But secondly, he will set himself up as the true Messiah, which leads to, obviously, I mean, that makes sense that he would then persecute Christians who have already accepted Jesus as their Messiah. So he will persecute every Christian and set himself up as the false Messiah. He will perpetuate what is called the abomination of desolation, which means he will set himself up as the Messiah and he will desolate the altar. Which means for us, we should watch for something that desecrates the altar of Jesus Christ. It could be the Eucharist. It could be some sort of uh, sexual abomination. It could be a combination of all of those things. But whatever it is, it is going to be completely, utterly scandalous for Christians. So we have to look for that. We also have to look for this severe persecution of Christians in which they are almost completely wiped out. Christianity will be almost completely eliminated by this Antichrist. And that's part of how the Jewish people will sort of, we'll say, rise with the Antichrist to power because that's what they're looking for. They're looking for their Messiah. They don't accept Jesus as their Messiah. We have accepted Jesus as our Messiah. The Antichrist will set himself up opposite Jesus Christ. And he will claim himself to be the true and uh, the true king of of history and humanity. I mean, everything. He will speak uh, terrible, terrible blasphemies. He will desecrate the altar. He will set himself up as the Messiah, as as over Jesus. He wants to be worshipped because he comes from the pit of hell, according to chapter 12 of Revelation. Well, and and in fact, that whole book talks about the son of perdition, and so does St. Paul. But that's how this... um, that's how the evangelization of the Jews will occur because the Antichrist will do away with the two witnesses who are said to be Elijah. Uh, Elijah will come in the last days according to the prophecies and that can be either literal or it could be figurative. It was figurative in the first coming of Christ through John the Baptist. So it could be figurative and I think it will be in the end times and the church fathers believe that the two witnesses are the holy pope and the holy monarch so the antichrist will put to death in a severely graphic way the the pope and the monarch as the two witnesses if they are the two witnesses now i say again that this is all a lot of speculation we don't really know we won't know it until it happens and then we can go oh yeah that's exactly what what God said now listen this happens all the time in my own life when God has come to me and said something to me I often interpret it one way 
and it happens another. And you know that this is true even of your prayers. You can pray for something specific and look back and know that God has answered your prayer, but he did not do it the way you thought he was going to. And he did not even do it the way you asked, but he did it. And he, he does it in his wisdom and his providence. He does it in secret ways, in ways we could never have imagined. And that is how prophecy works itself out. He gives us the prophecy and we know what's going to happen, but we don't know how. And we don't know the specific people or the specific ways. But these two witnesses that we see in Revelation chapter 11 are murdered in a very brutal, violent, public way by the Antichrist. And then there is some sort of mass conversion of Jews and the conversion of the nations. We, we don't know if that's going to happen separately or together, but we see that in Romans chapter 11. Paul talks about that. And those two witnesses are actually resurrected. We see that happen in Revelation 11. Then we know that the Antichrist who is stung by the resurrection of these two witnesses, he tries to prove himself. So he fakes an ascension of his own. In Daniel 8.25, we see that. And also uh, we see it somewhat in Isaiah 14. Um, And these are these prophecies that talk about what happens to Satan and the dragon and all of that in the end times. These are also prophetic of the Antichrist, who is the supreme evil one, the son of perdition, the Bible says, and Jesus says. So the Antichrist attempts some sort of ascension, and then there is the death of the Antichrist by St. Michael the Archangel. That is said to be in Isaiah 14, and also, as I read to you earlier in Revelation chapter 12, at the hands of St. Michael, but also through the facilitation of the woman, Mary, and the, and the Holy Spirit, obviously. Then immediately after that, in uh, Matthew 24, 29, we see these three days of darkness. This could come here or it come at, could come after the minor chastisement. We're not sure, but there are supposed to be three days of darkness. And then the Antichrist will be destroyed by the brightness of Christ's second coming in Second Th- Thessalonians 2, 8. I mean, hallelujah to that. The second coming, the parousia. Then we have what the Catechism uh, talks about in 568 through 573, the resurrection of the dead and the judgment, and then the new heavens and the new earth, which are outlined for us in Revelation 20 and 21. These times, dear one, are going to be spectacular. I wish I had time to really kind of go through some of what uh, the Bible says will happen during that the um, the new heavens and the new earth. We don't really know what that's going to look like, but we know it will be some sort of physical recreation of the whole universe, and it will be purified by fire, and it will be, um, it will be. I think it precedes actually the second coming. I can't remember uh, properly, and I should have looked before I said it. But we see that in Second Peter, John. Uh, I mean uh, Matthew twenty four, and. Then there is the end of the world. And this is what we talk about in the creed when we say the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We believe that as an article of faith, as part of what makes us Christian, we believe in this second coming and we believe in these prophecies of the last times. Hallelujah and hallelujah. I remember as a child praying that I would be present when Jesus came back to the earth. I mean, out of ignorance, because I guess I thought I was going to be one of those people that lived through the tribulation if I was actually here. So crazy, crazy prayer. But we are really standing on the precipice of something really spectacular with this age of peace. So dear dear one, we're going to talk about our next series when when we get back, I have to take a break. This is Sonia Corbett, the Bible study evangelista, loving and lifting all we've been given.
You're listening to the Bible Study Evangelista Show. Bible Study Spirits That Taste Like Cake. If you love having Bible study in your pocket, you can become a friend of the show. Click on the yellow friend of the show button on BibleStudyEvangelista.com and become a supporter of any amount and any frequency. Now, here's Sonia. wraps up our series on eschatology from a Catholic tradition point of view. I hope that you found the information useful and comforting. In fact, in apocalyptic literature, that was the whole point in the, the authors offering it to the people they were writing to was to bring comfort so that they would know, you know, terrible things are going to happen, but they were prophesied and they must happen so that everything can finish the way it's meant to so that Jesus can come. He wants to give us time for repentance. And that is why he's giving us this age of peace so that the fullness of the Gentiles can come in, which means the Muslims as well. And we know that Mary will have some sort of huge place in that. And so do we. And that leads into what I have a lot of really good news to share with you. This is what I was wanting to say to you earlier when I talked about the friends of the show and I got all blubbery. Um, Okay, so this week I got word that my study on the tabernacle is going to be published. And it will include a workbook, a a narrative book, like a just a regular, we call it a trade book in the industry, but it's just a, a narrative of the the study, and then the video series all together. I believe that that is why I had all this trouble, um, that and this also the Love the Word journal. I, I believe that that's why I had all this trouble with this computer stuff in the last couple of weeks. So it's a good thing, and that always has to happen. I, and I even said on Facebook that you can bet your butt if I start a new project that something awful will happen to either technology or it just it just always does and so please pray I'm having an issue with my wrist I believe it has something to do with my it's my mouse the way I I sit and work so pray for that but you are an integral part of this new study coming up it I believe is uh, it's apologetic and if you followed along with that tabernacle study you know that it is a way to share our faith in the the nutshell in the structure of the Old Testament tabernacle and so anyway I said all that to say I believe that it can be a tool for the Holy Spirit in bringing unity to the church because as a non-Catholic the tabernacle is what brought me into the church when I started making the connections between the tabernacle that I had been taught and knew and the church and the liturgy that I was learning, when I made that connection, I realized, oh my gosh, this Catholic thing is true. And it's been true all along. I just didn't know. I, I didn't know anything Catholic. So I didn't have the Catholic information to compare with the, the biblical information and the, the foundation that I already had. When I put the two of those things together, the biblical evidence is incontrovertible. You cannot argue with the way God has laid out both the Bible and history. And so this study is a, it is for me probably the most important study I've ever done. And I, I put a whole lot of stock into it, partly because I spent years trying to get it published. And the timing was just not right. But I shed many, many, many tears 
over the rejections that I repeatedly received over this study. And specifically, one publisher had it for over a year. And he, when I would check on it, he would come back to me and say, well, you know, he would ask me questions and I would spend time rewriting or restructuring or whatever. I mean, this went on for over a year. It was over a year. And I finally just thought to myself, you know what? He is dragging me along. He's never going to say yes. And so I just finally dropped it. But it was agonizing because I knew that the content of this study is just so important for evangelization and for apologetics, for explaining our faith. So it's twofold. It's a faith-sharing study. So Catholics will know how to share their faith with non-Catholics and fallen away Catholics. And at the same time, they will, they will become more rooted in it themselves. So teachers know, every teacher of every stripe knows that the best way to learn something is to teach it. So as you're learning to teach it, you're learning it yourself. So anyway, all of that is to say that I got the news Actually, yesterday, I got the news that, that the study is going to be published, and we have a, a meeting Monday. I, I don't want to say yet who it is, but a meeting Monday with the whole company. It's like 12 people, and I'll be spending the whole day outlining all of the content, and we'll be deciding what goes in the book, what goes in the workbook, and what goes in the videos. So please be in prayer about that. If you are, If I'm on your prayer list, that's what I need you to pray for, that and my wrist issue. And I want to thank you for your other prayers because... They are really what keeps my ministry afloat, and I I won't spend time on it, and I won't cry like I did in, in a couple of segments ago, but it's so important. I need your prayers. Nothing can get done, dear one, unless we're sacrificing and offering our sacrifices to Christ. So do that too, if you think of it, for my ministry. Offer your sacrifices, offer your prayers, um, for for the unity of the church and for my work because you are contributing. You are a contributor in this study and every study that I do, every one I've ever done, you are a contributor. So thank you <laughs> again. Okay, so what's next? What we're going to do next are the seven penitential psalms. Now, with this particular series, which if you've listened all the way through and if you listen through this entire show, um, I am updating right now. I just jumped in and I'm updating um, this, the last part of the last segment of this whole series on Catholic es- eschatology. And if you've been watching me on Facebook, I've been trying to offer a sort of running catalog of how the readings are striking me right now, because we are definitely in some weird times. And there are a lot of things in Catholic prophecy throughout church history that seem to be coming together and coming true in right now, like right in front of our faces. Part of what's been so interesting for me, though, is that so many other things still need to come true. So I know for sure that we're not at the end end. I don't believe that Antichrist is actually on the horizon. I, I subscribe to that first timeline in the show notes. There is an alternate timeline that has been offered as well, but it doesn't line up with, with the many, many prophecies throughout church history as well as the first. And so I, as I said, subscribe to that first timeline. And if that's the case, if we are in that timeline, then there is far too many things that still need to happen before the end end, the Antichrist end, which specifically the, if if we're in the minor chastisement, then some of that still needs to occur. Then the era of peace needs to occur. And then the Antichrist, because the Antichrist is supposed to come to power on the remains 
of what's left of this worldwide sort of second Roman Empire, which I've talked about quite a bit. So anyway, my point is, when I'm looking at our events right now, what I see is so many other things still need to happen. So we cannot be at the end end, which means we're standing right on the cusp of the era of peace. How much more of the minor chastisement do we have to live through? I don't know. We're just going to have to watch and see. But that's what has been so exciting about the readings to me right now is that we are sort of experiencing this tug of war. Like, for instance, today the readings were on Cain and and murdering his brother, and there will be no sign given, you know, in the gospel. And I'm like, wow, that was a huge change from yesterday, which was all happiness and joy, and I'm coming to save you. And and I do will it, he says, to the leper. And so there's this one day it's it's doom and gloom, and the next day it's bright and sunny. And when I see that happen, what I know is both things are true. And so I've been trying to offer you a sort of a running commentary on what I'm seeing in the readings to kind of show you, first of all, how love the word works. But secondly, I'm not saying I'm any kind of prophet. I just, I'm just noticing things are very interesting in the readings, specific to this series that we're doing on end times. And everybody's thinking about end times because of this global reading reset. And some of you have gotten very upset at me with this whole, you know, she's getting too political. The Bible's not political. Well, I'm sorry, but the end times are political. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. We have to be watching the signs of the times, Jesus said, and that involves politics. So I'm sorry if you're offended. And I have lost many, many donors and many followers and all that. But I'm, I'm just sorry. That's how the Bible is. You know, it, it leads us to watch our politics because it's through politics that the Antichrist will come to power. It's through politics that the great monarch will come to power before him. So we have to watch it. We need to keep an eye on what's happening. I'm not saying who's good and who's bad. That's for you to decide. But I am seeing some very interesting things in the readings. And it it definitely now seems that we are closer than ever before to the very end, simply because this whole global structure has actually truly and really and literally been put into place. So there is a global economic structure in place. And all it really would take is, is one leader, one leader and Let's just pray that first the monarch comes to power so, you know, we can participate in this new evangelization. So anyway, I got off on that again, but but I want to just say, um, and you've seen probably the trailer on my Facebook page, the video that I put together for the new series, which is on the seven penitential psalms. And the reason I chose that is because if there is some sort of illumination, and I don't necessarily mean the illumination of conscience, but if there is some sort of illumination, and I really do believe that there's some sort of light coming, I don't know, I don't know what it is, but I have had this feeling for a while, and I've mentioned it several times throughout the series, but I just feel like something huge is, is coming, and if that's the case, then what we're going to experience is a deep, wide, profound experience of evil and darkness, and we're actually we're seeing and feeling some of it now, but, but when that light comes, it's going to shine on this darkness, on a great darkness. I, I don't want to say too much because I don't know. I just, I just know sort of what I've seen and what I've sensed and what the readings are, are pointing to. So I have to be careful, but I think we're going to need the penitential Psalms. That's all I mean to say. So we're going to do that next. That'll start next week and that'll be your first email and we're going to not even have a break. I'm going to plunge right into that and then we'll talk about what the next series will be after that um, in the middle somewhere of that series. So thanks for uh, sticking with me all this time and I hope you'll share these end times uh, shows with your friends and family and uh, we should all ha- we all have great reason to hope and I pray that you have come away with this this hope in this series. I'm Sonia Corbett, Bible Study Evangelist. To see you next week.
Thank you for listening to the Bible Study Evangelista show. Find out more at BibleStudyEvangelista.com.